auto sequence start in five, four, three, two, one. Control, we have liftoff. You are listening to the synergy between faith in Jesus and everyday life. Hidden somewhere in the Canadian wilderness, this is The Turnaround. Happy April 3rd, everyone. We are celebrating. It was Good Friday, and we're right in the middle, but we know Sunday's coming. Jesus is risen, He is Lord, and He is the answer to life. We are so excited to just be with you here on the Turnaround Podcast. Thanks for coming and listening to this. Uh, I'm Pastor Dwayne. Today, we are going to be talking about the scriptures themselves. And you'll notice we are doing a little bit of some building blocks here just on the Turnaround Podcast. We are going to be able to get into stuff, but I want to be able to lay out clearly that there is truth, that we need to honor uh, the Bible itself, and uh, that's going to be obviously where our worldview is coming from. And if we do not have that solid as Christians, and lots of people are Christians, and this is all sliding away... um, this has to be retrieved. This has to be turned around for us to be able to operate and to do the things that God has called us to do. With the scriptures, uh, we have so many ways that we could go around this. There are endless debates and have been for hundreds and hundreds of years about the Bible. Is it accurate? Can it be trusted? Um, Lots and lots of... uh, other theology talks about inconsistencies and problems with the Bible, and I have found the Bible to be actually, the more I research it, the more it makes sense, but you have to approach it as uh, someone who's a simple person, I guess, in the sense that uh, I don't have to complicate things that are not complicated. So you can research things into the Bible like the Qumran scrolls, uh, and those were basically scrolls that were found around 1947. Both Old Testament and New Testament um, scrolls were found, and uh, that's fragments of things uh, all the way to like full books of the Bible like Isaiah, but those are dated about 300 BC for the Old Testament scriptures, and there was also uh, New Testament scriptures that were in there that were about 150 years after the time of Christ, and of the fragments they found and of the full books and everything in between, they found incredible accuracy between the Bible that we have uh, under record, and that's quite a skip for uh, to have a find like that 2,000 years later. You could also talk about how carefully the scriptures were uh, transferred, because before the Gutenberg Press, obviously, to have another copy of the Bible, it had to be hand-copied. And that was the Essians, and uh, they were so meticulous uh, how they copied things, and yet, if we go down the, all these different lines of argument, we're going to end up into intellectual arguments about the Bible. These days, the Bible is absolute truth, is full on under attack. And we understand that it's under attack from outside forces. If you come from the standpoint of that God would want to have a baseline of his truth and his word found in written form, you would think that if you start with God, 
that he is going to be able to protect that written word of God. And I believe that is the case. But at the same time, we would expect outside forces who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as God. They do not believe in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, all those things that we have as a baseline for our biblical world belief and our belief in Jesus and salvation and all of the great theology that gives us freedom and a better way of life. You would think that um, the devil would be wanting to do anything he can to undermine that. In fact, that is where he is found in Genesis, saying the first things that we hear him say is, did God say? In other words, he's challenging something that God said. The word of God is the truth. And we expect those outside forces. I think the problem that is more concerning in a sense, because it's kind of the one you can't see coming, and that is those who profess faith, but those who are undermining the word of God. Liberal theology, in a nutshell, from a baseline, simple point of view, no thanks. I'm not interested in people who want to take the scriptures and flip them upside down and stuff like that. So if I was to give you arguments that are going to go and challenge your mind, then uh, I guess we could get into like a big discussion and it's just uh, a big brouhaha and it's like a blender without the lid cut off, without the lid on. To answer the question about the Bible as in the inspired word of God, uh, I think we only have to ask one question. And that is, what did Jesus say about the scriptures? So, let's go into that for the next 20-some minutes. And let's actually just get a baseline on what did Jesus actually believe. So, the Bible he was using was the Old Testament. Those were books that were written in Hebrew. And basically, the version he had is about a 250 before Christ version is when that would have been kind of settled as the, the scriptures, and that's called the Septuagint, if you want to go there. But there's a whole bunch of quick issues that we can look at to know what Jesus actually thought about the scriptures as he had them. Obviously, we are talking about the Old Testament scriptures here because the New Testament scriptures were based on the life of Jesus, and going forward, Old Testament is Old Covenant, New Testament is New Covenant, and New Covenant really starts after the resurrection of Christ. So you could argue that while Jesus was in his ministry and walking on the earth, that was actually tying up the Old Testament before we had a major change and came into uh, a different uh, dimension of what it was going to be to know God. Jesus defines the scriptures himself as the word of God, and he recognizes the books of the law, he recognizes the books of the prophets, and as well he recognizes uh, Psalms. And as he talks about the scriptures, and we will go kind of a little bit line by line to just say, well, what did you, how did Jesus actually approach the scriptures? Because we know he kept referring to the scriptures actually at some of the most key points in his life and ministry. And then he not only definitely says that he's accepting of the scriptures. And how do the scriptures come? Let's be very clear. The scriptures were penned by men under the inspiration of God. 
So it is not the finger of God that wrote these things out. For some, that would make it more believable. For some, that would make it unbelievable. But God always has a way that his greater glory is to use uh, those who he calls his children and those who he makes friends with, frankly. And each and every book of the Bible is penned by a human being. Moses has the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and all of that history. And then you've got different prophets, and uh, and these men all wrote things, but they did it under the inspiration of God. And Jesus was accepting of that. Jesus did not challenge that in any way. And so he defines the scriptures themselves as being penned by men under the inspiration of God, but that they were the word of God. He also opens the door, very interestingly, in John 16 and uh, about verse 12. And this is what he says to the disciples. And tell me what you, how this sounds to you. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And I believe that Jesus is letting them know in this scripture you're going to have more to write that's going to be under the inspiration of God. And I believe that that is what we have in the New Testament scriptures. Obviously, we've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then a whole bunch of the New Testament was written by uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, also Peter, also other authors that are in there. And uh, the author of Hebrews, I think, is probably Paul as well, just coming from a little different perspective. And God has a way of protecting his scriptures if he's God. And the way that people come at the scriptures and they want to dissect it and say, well, you don't really understand this, the way that they take things that are cultural and then try to manipulate them so that they're uh, making God look like he's somehow off or he's fallen into... uh, something that is actually, you know, not correct or those kinds of things. I think it's absolutely just a manipulation of scripture and scripture taken as simply as it as you can take it, letting scripture inter, interpret scripture, taking what God, Jesus said about the scriptures and applying that, to me, it all makes sense and it's very, very clear and it's not muddy and it's not confusing. I got to take you over to Luke chapter 11 for a moment. If you have a picture of Jesus on the wall and he kind of has pink cheeks and a halo and he's slightly effeminate with, you know, kind of too thin of a fingers for what would be like a masculine version of Jesus. um, That's not the Jesus who's uh, you're going to find in Luke chapter 11, which basically means your picture is wrong. Uh, in this thing, let me just read a bit of it. I'll capsulate some of it. But he says, woe to you because, and he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees, they were like a ruling elite class of spiritual uppers, upper class. 
And he says, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. And he goes on to say that, you know, you agree with what they did. And he says, and therefore this generation is going to be responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world from Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Now that is interesting because within the Septuagint Bible that Jesus would be working from, the beginning of the Bible is Genesis. That's where Abel was killed. He also identifies him as a prophet, which is interesting because the devil is trying to get the prophets killed right off the beginning. And that is still happening today in ways. And then he goes all the way to Zechariah, and Zechariah would have been in the last book of the Septuagint. In other words, he's covering the whole gamut of Scripture, and he's saying, you know what? You've been killing them the whole time. It's like you aren't even in the game because you're wiping out all the Scriptures. Jesus finds himself in this passage defending the Scriptures from the beginning of them until the end of them. In Matthew 4, chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, that Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's actually not just making a statement in Matthew 4, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. So Jesus, many things that you'll, even in this podcast, you'll see that many things that he said, he is not just bringing a new revelation of some new words that have never been heard before. Many, many times he is quoting things that come directly out of the Old Testament scriptures. So for people who want to divide the Old Testament and say that it is somehow uh, less important or redundant or something like that, uh, I would double check that because a lot of what you're quoting Jesus as saying is actually coming from the Old Testament. Sorry to break it to you for those of you who just want to read the New Testament and you're too lazy to like put together that the Old Testament and the New Testament actually have massive relation and the whole thread of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is actually the full picture of Jesus. Jesus actually ups the ante from that point where he says, you know, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God in Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke or letter shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. Jesus is defending the scriptures to this extent. He's saying, not only the books, not only the chapters, technically, the Bible isn't really divided into chapters. That's us. And I, uh, so, but he's saying not just the paragraphs, not just the sentences, not just the words, not just the letters, but he's saying the dot of the I and the stroke of the T and every little stroke, God is defending that. And he says, the smallest stroke or letter shall not pass from the law until it is accomplished. That is the extent that Jesus actually defends the scriptures as the word of God and as the truth. That can be further shown by John 17, 17. And Jesus identifies the word of God as the truth. And he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. A small little sentence that tells us that we are actually sanctified by the truth and the scriptures 
are, they contain that truth that is the word of God. It's very interesting how people want to segment people of faith and belief and biblical worldview into a group where, well, you have a spiritual truth, but it's separate from a scientific truth. And I am actually growing weary from how many times people want to evoke science as though that's the aha that shows that they have some kind of upper hand on the truth of the Word of God and a biblical worldview. I would suggest to you that all science, real science, will ever take you to is that it will take you to the knowledge of God. It will not take you away from the knowledge of God. And when people use science for political reasons and political agendas, it is no longer science. The idea that all the science is closed on any issue that you want to pick out, and I can name them all, trust me, that tells you that is no longer a scientific argument. That is a political argument. That is someone using some research or some bent of opinion or some table within a scientific research study, and they are amplifying it outside of the whole so that they can prove their point, they can get their narrative in there, and they can do stuff to make us X, Y, or Z be bent by the truth of science. And I love arguing with uh, people who think that they have some kind of corner on science, because if you start asking questions about things, and I will get into that on another podcast, you can burst those bubbles so fast just by having a biblical worldview and understanding that, guess what? As an example, the earth is not actually going to be destroyed because of man's bad treatment or good treatment of the planet. Actually, isn't going to happen that way. You know how I know that? Bible tells me how it ends. Is it going to burn? Yeah. Because of what we did? Uh, in a sin way, yeah. But uh, in a someone threw a plastic bottle in the ditch? No. Am I for recycling? Do I ever throw a plastic bottle in the ditch just to say, oh, I have a biblical worldview? No, I don't. We have to be responsible for the planet, blah, 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 just in case some of you are about to shut me off, but listen to what I'm saying. That's not how the world ends. That is not how the world ends. And so, and there are many, many Christians who are on the bandwagon. So it's like, oh, well, this is, this, is, this is our responsibility. No, our responsibility is very similar to what Jesus' responsibility was, and that was the salvation of mankind. That is actually the more important of what we're doing. And as king of the rabbit trails and trying to stay focused for a podcast, I will move on, but we will be coming back to that. I just need this groundwork stuff to be laid so that every time I get feedback and someone um, is blowing a gasket, I want to give myself the ability to say, just refer to podcast number one, podcast number two, and podcast number three, because this whole podcast is about esteeming a biblical worldview that is getting smashed all around the place in our world right now in incredible ways. Interesting that Jesus doesn't make any corrections when he is talking about the Bible, the Bible that he was operating out of. Do you know that Jesus endorsed stories like Adam and Eve? Some people are like, yeah, the Adam and Eve thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll take Jesus. I'll take that death on the cross for my sins thing. And uh, don't miss the next podcast next week because we are going to show you that 
uh, Jesus is not actually a number of versions of himself. He's Jesus, one version. And he gets bent all over the place because there's certain things that people say, I'll pick and choose that because that is good for me, that's good for salvation, that's good for eternal life. But uh, here's the bad news for you. Um, God did not, didn't actually give you that option. Jesus endorses Adam and Eve. He endorses some of the stories that people think are the most hilarious fictional, uh, like Noah and, oh yeah, and the animals, all of this kind of came over to the ark and there was two of each. And they can make fun of that stuff and they cannot believe it. There's a problem with that though. Jesus is the one who's going to save you and he believed it. Jesus believed in Jonah. You want, you want to talk crazy town? Jonah gets swallowed by a fish because he doesn't want to go and tell a wicked set of people that they're going to burn because he's afraid that God might actually redeem them and he ends up, God ends up doing exactly that. God wants to destroy the people of Nineveh, but he doesn't do it. And so Jonah goes and actually Jonah is what we call a type of Christ. He goes into the whale. It's not like some of those cartoons where he's building a fire inside of a room, inside of a whale. Uh, Jonah dies. He dies inside. He gets swallowed by a great fish and dies. And then God takes him three days later, funny, it's three days later, and throws him up alive from the, from the belly of the fish. And it's a type of Christ, the Old Testament, linking to the New Testament. Three days later, Christ would arise. You think that if Jesus was worried about the accuracy of those scriptures, he would have said, by the way, on a few of these stories, let's just make some corrections because it's it actually like someone kind of got a little bit excited there. It was supposed to be the inspiration of God, and then it kind of got inspiration plus extra. He doesn't make one correction like that. The word of God is protected as it is, and I can't wait to see the replay on that. I mean... It's going to be exciting to be like, hey, watch this, watch this. It's just like, when exactly does Jonah come back alive? Is it when he's in the air barfed out of the fish? Or was it sort of like in the fish? And then he, who knows, you know, he started kicking and the fish couldn't stand it. I mean, some pretty, if we get to watch back, I mean, some pretty great movies. I don't want movies of my life because um, then people will find out how much I needed God. But um, we probably all feel like that. Jesus doesn't teach any historical changes. He actually treats the scriptures as accurate, historically accurate, and authoritative. And that's how he approaches it. How about the time when Jesus is tempted? What does he go to? Jesus is tempted and he draws boundaries of authority against Satan using the scriptures. And very interesting. What do you think Satan is using against Jesus? Is it just, hey, I'll, I'll give you um, all these different things and you can have all the kingdoms. And, you know, he's not just pulling it out of a hat. In fact, the devil is using scripture against Jesus. He's using scripture against him. In chapter 4, verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. How did he get to direct Jesus at all to stand on the highest point of the temple? And he says, if you are the son of God, he says, throw yourself down, for it is written. When you see, for it is written, that is scripture being 
esteemed as something. And the scripture the devil uses is, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Takes the promise of God, says, hey, jump. He's either saying uh, the scripture's wrong or uh, you're, you know, you're going to, you know, jump and it's not going to happen. And either way, he's got him. And that's how the devil likes to work. He likes to give you two choices and you lose it both. And Jesus answers him. What does he say? It's also written. You're saying this is written. Well, I'll tell you what else is written. Do not put your Lord God to the test. And here Jesus is again, quoting Old Testament. The devil's quoting Old Testament. They're having a scriptural battle. And Jesus goes, yeah, but this scripture is going to outweigh the way you're using it because you're taking a scripture and you're twisting it. And it is so easy for people to take small sections of scripture and twist it. And that is why we have to know the word of God and the context of those scriptures so that when someone says, for it is written, or the devil says to us, for it is written, we can come back and say, yeah, but it's also written. And this will actually, because things are different weighted in the word of God. It doesn't mean that it's not all valuable. It doesn't mean it all has reason and stuff like that. But here's an example of that and how that principle would work. Do you realize that what Jesus did to Satan, that it was not just for Jesus to survive that moment, it's for us today. Do you realize that it's for us to be able to know the word of God and the context and the meaning and to be able to say to the enemy, do you realize it is written? Do you realize that I am laying an authoritative scriptural boundary against what you are trying to do to my family, to my health, to my to my finances. to That is how practical the scriptures are. And yet we've got people, even, I'm not, again, not the people from the outside. I'm not, I'm not that concerned that the devil hates the scriptures. Obvious. People in the church who want to water down the scriptures, who want to water down Jesus, who want to water down the authoritative word of God that Jesus actually endorsed. You've got to be kidding me. What about when the cancer hits your family? What about when you are facing brutal stuff in your marriage? What about the real stuff? It's just like, this is where we need God and the word of God and the belief that the scripture reads us. We don't read the scripture. It adjusts us. It helps us through all these things. You know, even at the point of death, Jesus is quoting scripture. When Jesus called out with a loud voice and uh, at, at the time of his crucifixion, right before he died, he, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting Psalm 31.5. Jesus is constantly using the scripture because Jesus endorsed the scriptures as the holy word of God, full of truth, full of authority, reliable, even if you don't think it's possible that God could get a prophet who's going to be disobedient, swallowed up by a fish so he can rethink it after he's had some kind of a three-day experience in Sheol, and then he gets barfed out, resurrected with a different attitude. These scriptures are for us. These stories are true. If you don't believe them, that's, I guess, your choice. It definitely is your choice. But then, if you don't believe the scriptures that Jesus believed, do you even believe in Jesus? And if you don't believe in Jesus, what's your plan to be saved? What's your plan after this life? And I'll tell you what, this life flies by. The word says that too. 
says it's like a puff of steam. And we care so much about this life. And we so lack purpose because we will not accept that God is God. And we will not adjust ourselves to our identity that God gave us and the purpose that God gave us. And so we battle to find purpose in life. And it's just going to be a vapor and a steam. And if you don't find Jesus in the middle of this, you're going to be lost for eternity. And eternity is a long time, a lot longer than a human lifetime. The bottom line is that the Bible is either a word about God for human beings or it's the word of God to human beings. Your worldview will put you on side with Jesus and the scriptures if you just relent and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to be that replacement for you, to believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, and then to find him and to seek him. And it's like, you'll find him. He's not actually that difficult to find, but you have to believe something first. Ultimately, if you don't make those choices, you'll find yourself doubting the scriptures. That's what the devil's first thing he did to Adam and Eve, tried to make them doubt what God had said. Doubt the scriptures, doubt the fact that they have authority, doubt the fact that they are inerrant and there to give direction and help and life to our lives. And after you're finished doubting with the scriptures, you'll begin to doubt Jesus and you'll begin to doubt God. And if you end up with no God, you end up with no hope and you end up with no future. And my question is, how long do you want to do that? And how is that working for you? I'm here to tell you that the Bible can be trusted, that the word of God is the authoritative scriptures. And that is not authoritative in a wrong sense. It's in a way that it protects us. It's a covering. It's like being under a massive covering umbrella when the world outside is pouring rain and trying to soak us at every corner. I would encourage you to think about the Bible again. Think about Jesus again, because he really is the answer to everything. The whole Bible from front to back, is really about the person of Jesus. And if you get that, you will see it as you read it. The Bible is 39 Old Testament books written in Hebrew and 27 books written in Greek and Aramaic. It all concerns one hero who is neither DC or Marvel. It's Jesus Christ who came into the world to show us the way to live and to restore our relationship with God. If you don't know him, it's time for you to turn it around. This is Pastor Dwayne. I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And just remember that now you can get a hold of us if you like us or if you don't. And uh, it's the turnaroundpc at gmail.com. That's capital T, capital T, PC for podcast. The turnaround podcast at gmail.com. God bless you. Have a great week.